Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. We're walking through the book of Luke, thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, to see the world the way he does, and to integrate his patterns into our life. I hope you enjoyed the sermon today. I also wanted to point you to the description section where you can find the church's website. We would love for you to visit our church and consider investing in our ministry. There's two other links. One is a podcast I do with a therapist at Renew Church, and we kick around issues like dating, mental health, and friendships. And lastly, there's a children's book series and a journal that I wrote with my wife and my mentor, and we'd love for you to look at those resources as well. Thank you so much for being a part of the Renew Church family, and I hope that you enjoyed the sermon today. God bless. All right, welcome back, everyone. If you had any questions, um, you're drawing the heart with the cups. You're basically doing exactly what is up there. That's what you're drawing. So something I just dis- uh, discovered recently about myself, not too recently, I was in therapy over the last, um, like, maybe 10 years ago, and I was there for four and a half years. And I remember my therapist looking at me and saying, oh, like, you're a really sensitive person. I'm like, I am not, as I cried. And uh, being sensitive is such an insult in our, you know, toxic masculine culture where we're not supposed to feel emotions. But she said, isn't it better to be sensitive than insensitive? Isn't it better to be able to register your feelings and the feelings of others and, and extend empathy rather than being closed off emotionally? And then when I had Liam, who is a sensitive kid, I saw so much beauty in the way that he was able to sit with and connect and be concerned for other people's emotions. Um, When we look at the heart in in scripture, the definition of the heart on the next slide, it has a really profound definition. It's speaking about um, our true self, the reality of who we are. So in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, above all else, guard your heart for Everything you do flows from it. Out of our heart comes our emotions, our words, our actions, the way we hurt and love people. When we do something and we're like, I don't know where that came from. I don't know why I said that or why I hurt someone that way. It's not because it was external to you. It's because there's parts of who we are that we are still discovering, that we are unaware of. There's also in the Bible this concept of our false self, the vision we present to others that is really untrue of where we are internally. When we put on a smile, but we're really grieving. Or when we're, we act excited to see someone, but we're, we don't like them. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, it says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. There's a disconnect between what they say and what where their hearts are at, the reality of who they are. And then thirdly, there's our hidden self, what we don't know about ourselves, kind of what we're still discovering. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? He's asking who can understand their own heart, their own self in a full and comprehensive way. We actually deceive ourselves sometimes into thinking we are who we are not. I have a few quotes, one from Augustine in Confessions, a really amazing book, but 
hard to sift through. How can we draw close to God when we are far from our own self? He prayed, grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know you. John Calvin speaks of this too. Our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected together by many ties, it is not easy to determine which of the two, sorry, of the two proceeds and give birth to the other. So today we're going to be talking about our hearts, about the reality of who we are, and we're going to be entering into a conversation in which Jesus has a heart-to-heart conversation with the Samaritan woman. And I'm hoping that we'll step into that and hear the way he speaks to us as well in this dialogue. So if you have your Bibles, you could turn to John chapter 4, verse 4 to 10. It's also up on the screen. Now he had to go through Samaria So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. So Samaritans are Jews that married Gentiles, and then their kids are Samaritans. So they had a really watered-down or synchronistic view of Judaism. They would bridge their heathen culture with Jewish culture, and because of that, the Jews did not associate with Samaritans. They would call them dogs. They were extremely prejudiced against them, and they saw Gentiles, people who were non-Jewish, as greater than Samaritans. And so Jesus does this thing that no Jewish person does. He walks through Samaria. Usually when you're going from Jerusalem to Judea, you walk around Samaria. You take a far longer journey in order to avoid the Samaritans. But here Jesus walks into Samaria to talk to a Samaritan woman, and a woman who has a checkered past. We know this partly because she draws water at noon. Drawing water was a social event for women in the town. They would go to the well together to chat and to socialize, but they would do it in the cool of the day, maybe at dusk or dawn. But this woman does it in the middle of the day when it's the hottest to avoid that social setting. And here, again, Jesus is asking her for water, but she recognizes that he's a Jew, and Jews don't talk to Samaritans. This is how Jesus responds to her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So he goes from a physical event into a spiritual metaphor. In verse 11, Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. She's still thinking of it literally. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Anyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So here in the next slide, Uh, we have the two types of waters being revealed. There's well water, which um, represents sin and idols in our life. And Jesus describes it as 
when we drink of it, we'll become thirsty again. That will never fully satisfy us or quench our thirst. But then on the other side, he starts to introduce living water. And he says, if you drink from living water, which is himself, which is Jesus, you will never thirst. And that this water will actually be a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Next, next passage, John chapter 4, verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. So as she's asking for living water, Jesus asks her about her married life and her possible uh, adultery going from one man to the other. So if you go to the next slide, we have the well water, which again represents sin and idols. And for this woman, her well water was these men going from one man to the other. And so I'm wondering, what are the well waters that we go to to quench our thirst? What are the sins that we do that we know displease God or the idols that aren't evil in and of itself but are placed above God? I think a compassionate way to look at sin and addiction is to see its function, that it's actually quenching a thirst that we have. It it gives something to us. That's why we keep going back to the sin in our life. And so in James chapter 1, 14 and 15, it says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. When desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, uh, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So our sin comes out of our desires. There's something about our sin that is quenching a thirst, a desire of our soul. And where does our desires come from? It often comes from a childhood wound, a a hole or a void in our heart that makes us long for and thirst to grab a hold of something to fill it. So let me give you some concrete examples of this. And I hope that as I walk through some concrete examples, you can think of this in a concrete way in your life. So what are some sins and idols that you're willing to pin onto the paper? What are some addictions that you've struggled with? And maybe you're sitting next to someone you don't know. You could spell it backwards or use code or do a, you know, acronym. I don't know. But I would love for this not to be an abstract teaching, but a conversation between the Lord and you. So there's recognizing our sin and idols, which Jesus does for this woman on the front end. But then there's going deeper and saying, why do I sin in this way? What is it fulfilling in my life? And what are the thirsts that are satisfying? And then asking another question of where does this thirst come from? Because the thirst I have is different than the thirst that you have. And the way I satisfy my thirst may be different than how you satisfy your thirst. Like we might, we might be struggling with the same sin for very different reasons. So again, some of the concrete examples, maybe the sin is losing your temper with your husband or wife or with your friend. And why, are you, why is it that you struggle with losing your temper or with anger? Maybe the thirst is that you want control or you want to feel powerful. 
that when you lose your temple, temper, all of a sudden you can overpower the person in front of you. All of a sudden you're taking back control. So that could be the thirst or desire. Now, where does that come from? Maybe it comes from feeling voiceless at home. Maybe you've seen your father and mother fight so violently that you decided to become quiet, to not articulate your needs or what you want. So that would be the childhood wound. Um, I talked to this guy, and he said, I want to date a hot girl. I know, super offensive. I'm, I'm sorry for even bringing this up. I feel embarrassed for him. Not me, him. And, um, and maybe that's his idol, right? His idol is like, man, I just want to date someone super hot. But then I, I asked him, like, why do you want to date someone hot? Because it's different than saying, I want to be attracted to my girlfriend or, or wife. That, that's really healthy. But he's going for, like, a model. And then he looked inward, and he was able to say, I want to feel valued. That somehow me dating someone beautiful gives me value. I heard someone else um, on, that, that I'm close to say, you know, the girls, the, her girlfriends are always asking, hey, what does he do for work? And basically, how much money does he wait, uh, make? Because there's like an inferred value on her if she's dating someone who has a high income or has a prestigious, prestigious job. So he's able to say, I gain value because she's beautiful. And then... I'm, I'm thinking about why, why, what is the childhood wound here that m- makes him thirst for value? Maybe he didn't feel valued in his family. Maybe he was often overlooked uh, in the playground. I think about my sin of sexual addiction that I've spent many years recovering from and then is still in the process. So when you think about um, addiction, whether it's pornography for me or whether it's sleeping with someone outside of, of uh, the marriage context, this sin of, of sexual uh, desire kind of fills so many different buckets, right? And, and the way that, that Roy Kim talks about sobriety and walking away from addiction, it's like leaving a close friend, leaving someone who is with you when you're bored to bring excitement, leaving someone who is with you when you felt rejected so that you feel accepted, leaving someone who was with you when you felt in pain and and they're alleviating that pain. Our addictions do all kinds of things for us. And for me, it was especially earlier in my addictive cycle, rejection was such a big trigger for me. And uh, my addiction was a way for me to feel accepted. So the well water is uh, sexual addiction. The Thirst would be feeling rejected and wanting acceptance. I'm, ex- I'm reaching for acceptance. And then the fracture for me was seeing my mom who came from Taiwan, trying to learn a new language, trying to survive. There's no safety net. And throughout the course of her mothering me, she was just exhausted. She worked full time, came home to put the house in order, try to get us fed and cleaned. And there wasn't a lot of emotional capacity to connect deeply, to make me, have me feel loved and wanted, even though she, she felt those things. I, I couldn't uh, receive it. And so out of that is this feeling of rejection, a desire to be accepted. And this was one of the ways in which I went for that. Um, in terms of idols, one of my friends is Ernest up there. He lovingly calls me a friend whore. Uh, have you ever 
heard that phrase. And so it's because I'm like, I want to be friends with everybody. And maybe if you're a close friend, you don't feel as special. I don't know. So I'm a friend whore, one of my idols. And uh, my thirst is that I don't want to be alone. And there's this deep childhood wound of feeling constantly by myself and alone. Another, lastly, another idol is um, I can easily overfunction at Renew and just try to like and and do as much as I can for this church, but at the cost of my family, at the cost of my own relationship with the Lord, that's the idol. The thirst is there's a lot of my personal value and identity staked at this church, right? So when it's doing well, I can easily feel prideful. When it's doing poorly, I can easily feel crushed that I'm, I'm not good. And then there's this deep sense of failure in elementary school of, of not feeling like I can succeed. So I'm putting all of these really concrete examples in front of you, hoping that you'll become concrete um, as you look at and consider this graph in front of you. So I just want to give us one minute to pin some things down. If you can even write one roadmap from your sin to your uh, thirsts and desires into your fractures, that will help you um, in this journey throughout the course of all of your sin and idols. Does that make sense? I'll just give us one minute, and then we'll continue to move forward. Okay, so Jesus talks to a woman about uh, her husband. And what does she do in verse 19? Next slide. Sir, the woman says, I see that you are a prophet because you don't know me, and then you call me out on all my junk, right? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So the first thing we see here is the woman is starting to separate herself from Jesus. She feels extremely exposed. Who wants their sins just spoken right to their face? And what does she do? She uses religion, or in Pete Scazzaro's words, she uses God to run from God. That sometimes our spirituality can be our greatest barrier to seeing our own heart and allowing God to see it. For me, it's like, I'm a pastor, you know? Like, best religious shield ever. Who's gonna question my spirituality? I'm preaching to you on Sunday. I have a title at the church. And so I can use my pastor's title, or all of us can use our titles at church to be like, I'm good, right? I went to seminary. I preached a sermon. People think I'm spiritual. Why do I have to engage in these deep parts of my relationship? Sometimes wealth could be an easy barrier. If, people, if you're wealthy, people look at you, and you have a house and a family, they just assume, hey, you're good. Like, you're totally fine. And, and you can assume that, too. If you've done something altruistic, like given a lot of money away, or you're helping people through your profession, or you have a high education, these are ways, whether it's social status or religious um, accolades, that start putting a barrier between us and the Lord. That allows us to not face our hearts 
and not let the Lord see our true selves as well. But what does Jesus say about true worshipers? That they worship God in truth. That there's a presentation of truth of all of who we are before the Lord. And that it's spirit to spirit, it's personal. It's heart to heart. It's him seeing us and us seeing him. The places where we hide in our hearts are the places that we are unloved and unhealed and unforgiven. The places that we don't present before the Lord are the places where we can't experience him and where we uh, deny him of ourselves. Jesus is saying that in order to worship me, in order to know me, in order to experience me fully, it has to be your heart, your spirit in front of mine. It has to be all of you, the truth of who you are in front of me. The next slide in 25, it says, the woman says, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will reveal everything to us. There's this hope that a Messiah in Jewish and Samaritan culture was here to bring peace between the government who was oppressing uh, Judaism at the time, the Roman government, but also peace in our own uh, communities with each other and peace between us and the Lord, that he'll explain everything. Jesus declares, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And this little phrase, I am, is a throwback to how God reveals himself to Moses. He uses that same phrase that God says, I am who I am. What does that phrase mean? When Moses asked God, what is your name? He's thinking in the category of ancient religions where you wanted to learn the secret name of God. There was that generic name that everyone knew, but the sorcerers, right, the wizards, uh, Gandalf, they knew the secret name of God. And when you knew the secret name of God, you could summon his powers and you knew where his powers resided. What, what part of of this earth that they reign. And God says, I am who I am. I am the God of all things. And then he goes to war with Egypt to prove it. It's not your sun God that controls the sun. I am the sun God, and he blots out the sun. I am the, not your God of denial. I am the God of denial, and he makes it into blood. Right? I'm the God of livestock. I'm the God of rebirth, not Pharaoh. And when he says, I am, He's also saying they are not. That none of these other things will really satisfy your soul or fill your thirst. There's no well water out there that will close the holes and wounds of our heart. I am, and it's just me, and they are not. If you look at the next slide, I wonder what it looks like for us to take those childhood wounds and the desires that come out of it, and to say, Jesus, you are the great I am. One of the, one of the most important spiritual disciplines we can do is to really feel those desires well up inside of us. And to say, I'm going to deny myself a distraction. I'm going to deny myself um, going to my idols and, my, and, and the other things of life. And to say, Jesus, what does it mean to drink deeply from you? So I think about um, some concrete examples again. What it means to like, 
feel failure from elementary school and want and thirst for success and reaching for renew for it. But instead of reaching for renew or occupation or wealth or accolade, for me to say, Jesus, I want you to remind me of the reality that I am your son and that all of my worth um, and success can come out of the way that you see me and you approve of me. And then when I come on stage or serve as a pastor, it's not out of need, right? It's not out of like, I need something out of you or out of this church to fill my value. If Jesus can be a place where I find my value and identity, I can come to you to serve. In the same way, um, if in my loneliness as a child and that, that, that desire to not be alone, I could go to Jesus and, and live in this reality that he's always with me and that I'm never alone, right? Wherever I go, even darkness, he is there because darkness is as light to him. There's nowhere I can hide. He's in front of me. He's behind me. He hems me in. This isn't just wishful thinking. This is living the reality of you as a daughter or son of the Lord, that you are never alone. And so in silence and solitude, I'm able to remind myself that God is with me all the time, that I can drink in his presence. Then when I reach out in friendship or when I uh, bring my wife into my life or my kids, it's not to consume them. It's not for, for me to stuff that relationship into this unquenchable thirst for companionship. But instead, I've drank deeply from the Lord. And I can be with them generously. And I can be without them. And I can, I can have a healthy relationship because I'm drinking from God. <clears throat> the next slide, we look at what living water looks like. That not only do we not thirst, so that wound is healed, the thirst is satisfied, but it says a spring of water will well into eternal life. That when you look at the Greek, the living water, there's this uh, nuance where it's like self-replicating, where this water inside of us grows and grows until it erupts forward as a spring for other people to drink from, for other people to find Jesus, for other people to be filled. In the next slide, we see this from the Samaritan woman. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. You see how the way she drank from Jesus, she is allowing other people to drink from him as well. She extends his love to those around her who she felt rejected by who she was ostracized by, she felt like she could approach because she was accepted in Christ. And then I love this. I love this little phrase that she leaves her water jar. It's this small imagery in the text. She leaves her water jar behind, the water jar that was meant to fill her with well water. She leaves. And then in Jeremiah, look at this. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. Thousands of years ago, Israel forsake God, who was living water. 
and have dug their own cisterns, broken jars, broken cisterns that can hold no water. She reverses the sin of Israel. Instead of leaving living water for broken cisterns that can never satisfy them, this woman leaves her cistern for living water. I wonder what that looks like in our life. To choose Jesus, the great I am, the living water instead of well water and broken cisterns. So what does it look like for you as, as you slowly, um, over time, excavate not only what your sin and idols are, but why you do those sins? What are the thirst they satisfy? And then the childhood wound, like as you excavate that, you're actually helping to build a GPS position for where you need Jesus the most. And what part of the I am you're looking for? Him as a father. Him as a refuge. Him as sovereign. Him as a provider. Him as a healer. And you're saying, God, this is the I am I'm needing from you. So if you would just take a minute again to look at your heart uh, drawn out on a piece of paper and say, what is the living water that would fill this thirst? What am I looking to experience out of Jesus in who he is that would be able to quench this thirst in my life and heal this wound in my heart? I'll give you a minute to do that. I'll serve us communion, close us out in prayer, and then we'll go back into our small groups. When I think about communion this morning, I just think about how Jesus gave all of himself for all of us. There's nothing he withheld, not even his body, um, his death. And so what would he deny you if he did not deny you his own life? This is his body broken for you. Take this in remembrance of the Lord. This is his blood shed for you. Take this in remembrance of the Lord. As we take communion today, Jesus, we confess that all of us have sin and idols that we went to instead of you. And we lay them down today, God. We ask for your forgiveness, your blood to cleanse us, your body, Lord, to take our punishment. And you give us new life found in you. God, I pray that this week in the places we need you most, we would find you. The places we need you most, God, that we would have you. That there's more of your love to discover. More of you to fill us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're really grateful that you'd spend time listening to the sermon series. And we also wanted to point you to a few other resources. My wife and I wrote a children's book collection helping kids bridge their faith with God's calling in their life as a businessman, as a doctor or nurse, and as a creative. Secondly, we wrote an adulting journal 
which helps young adults think through this transition into adulthood, whether it's transitions in friendship, family, faith, or calling. And lastly, I want to point to a podcast that myself and another church member, Roy Kim, who's a therapist, co-host together. It's called The Same Boat. We talk about relationships. We just finished um, a series on dating. We think back to an English ministry church, and we just tackle all kinds of topics that are relevant to our life. I hope that uh, those resources enrich your life as well. And lastly, if you're looking to partner with us, on our website, we have a give section. You could give to our general fund and continue to serve our church through, um, through partnering with us financially. But if you scroll down, we have quite a few local missionaries that have called Renew Home. If you read their bio, there's also a section to give to each one of our local missionaries. We hope that all of them would be fully funded going into this year. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us and uh, hope to hear, hope to uh, have you join us again.